I actually feel it's good that I'm thinking I'm not going to live forever. I only have a limited amount of time because that means I've got to get the best out of myself right now. I'd like to welcome Joe Barnes to the Productivityist Podcast. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. So the book is called Do the Work You Love, How to Create an Income Without Working a Boring Job. So uh, what boring job were you working that inspired you to write this book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wasn't actually. I finished. It was more of a boring degree. I was doing uh, politics at university, which I didn't enjoy at all. And then I decided I wasn't going to make the same mistake. I wasn't going to choose a job, which I didn't end up enjoying. So I did have a couple of sort of boring jobs, but they weren't really careers. I was working in a pub for a little bit, and then I was working in a sports retail store. But I never saw them as anything longer than a temporary measure. So I never had a boring job. It wasn't a case that that's what inspired me to write it. It was it was a comment on my YouTube channel inspired me to write it. Somebody had watched one of my videos and he was, I think, 19. He was from Holland and he was outlining his whole scenario scenario about how he had many of these different passions, but he wasn't sure which one he could make a money, make an income from. And he was faced with this dilemma of going to university and not wanting to go to university and then get into debt and then go into a job, have to take a job he didn't enjoy to pay off the debt. So it was his dilemma. He asked me the question, how do I create an income without working a boring job? And then I set about trying to answer it. So that's that's how the whole book came about. So you wrote the book for him, basically. That's basically what it was. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. His, his, <laughs> His question, and I just thought it was such a good question. I just yeah. thought there must be so many people in this situation or in a similar situation with a similar question on their mind that I thought if I can answer his question, I can probably answer thousands of other people's um, similar questions. So a couple things I want to get into right away. Um, I've had Cal Newport on the program before, and you know, back when he wrote So Good They Can't Ignore You, he talked about, and he's got this TED Talk, a why why choosing, why following your passion is bad career advice. This book kind of goes in the opposite direction. You're, you're, you, you know, you talk about choosing a passion. So can you talk a little bit about the idea of choosing a passion? Because a lot of people get the sense that the passion is kind of just, it's, it's not something that you choose. It's just something that you have. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Yeah, so I do. I, I'm probably in the middle of where Cal Newport is and right. what what maybe people think that what I'm saying. So I'm saying, look, measure your passion by certain criteria. I have something called a dream job chart in the book, which asks you to measure your when you say passion, you can also just say ideas, you know, it could right. be a business idea, could be a hobby, could be a skill could be a cause you're passionate about. I'd say measure them by four criteria, which is how much you enjoy them, how much fulfillment they give you, what potential there is to monetize the passion, and the length of time it's going to take you to master any skills related to the passion. So I don't say just follow what you're passionate about. I say find some ideas you like doing, measure them against this criteria, then you should have maybe one or two workable ideas, which you can then take forwards, you know, and actually commit to commit to doing. You talk about in the book, I want to get, this is the, the part that I really appreciated the, the three paths. Um, and I don't want to, I mm-hmm. don't, I, I want to kind of couch this a bit by saying that, you know, there's in this book, 
it's not like you can go through this, listen to this podcast episode, go, okay, I've got it. Like picking up the book is, is going to really help you with this because there are three paths and you could take any of them at any given time, right? Like, can you talk about the three paths a little bit? And then maybe which was the one that you felt that you've, you've taken maybe more than any other. Sure. Sure. I'll give you a quick overview. So we've got the adventurer's path, the strategist path and the grinders path. Adventurous paths, in a nutshell, means quitting a job as soon as possible and just throwing yourself wholeheartedly into the pursuit of whatever passion, business idea, etc., whatever it is you want to do. Strategist path, the aim there is to try to free up 20 hours a week to work on your passion while you maybe work a few less hours at your, your day job or maybe leave that and if you can freelance, try to build up some freelancing clients and then work 20 hours a week on your passion or get a side hustle. It, it's, it's, as the name uh, indicates, strategist path. It's a bit more strategic. Grinders path is for people who can't quit their job. And I look at how you can potentially free up time and master you know, your time management in order to free up some time to work on your passion alongside uh, your full-time hours. So the one I chose is basically the strategist path. I purposely, from the start, my main dream or passion is, as, as you could probably tell, to be a, an author and uh, to be a best-selling author. And how I work towards doing that is I first of all worked as a tennis coach and then as a hypnotherapist. That was my platform so that I could make a decent enough money, um, amount of money per hour that I didn't have to work 40 hours, 35 hours a week doing it. And I could also be in charge of my time so that I could write for 10, 20 hours a week and perfect my writing, write my first book. The book we're talking about now is my second book and then continue writing more and more until I one day get to that bestseller status, which I'm, I'm aiming for. So that was the path I took. And the point I'm trying to make is I had a platform and I deliberately picked things which I enjoyed, tennis coaching and hypnotherapy, and which also I was in charge of. I was in charge of my time so that I, I knew I could dedicate a certain amount of time each week to writing. So that was the strategy I used. When it comes to the adventurous path, the idea of taking like that decisive action and just, you know, throw it for lack, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say throwing caution to the wind, but the idea of um, just leaving and starting down that path. What's one of the biggest pieces of advice you can give to somebody who's either they like, that's the path for me, or they've made that choice. And there's kind of, uh oh, um, they're, they're making their way down mm -hmm. that path. And all of a sudden it's like, oops, I didn't necessarily mitigate because you know, it sounds like, you know, you've mitigated, you mitigated the risk with the strategist piece. And I know that you talk about corporate yes. and that in the grinders path. So what, what, if someone's made that choice about taking the adventurous path, what can they do to either feel like, okay, I'm on, the, it'll be okay. <laughs> like, it'll be fine. I've made the right, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going down the right, or if they have to switch, I guess is, is another, is another possibility. Yeah. I think the whole point with the adventurous path is that it is a risk. Mm. And the upside of that is, that you have unlimited time to throw into it. And I think the number one, the one, number one factor in determining whether you're going to be successful at making a living from something you enjoy doing or you're passionate about is your focus and how focused you can be. And on the one side, the adventurous path seems to offer complete focus because you have no other distractions. But yet, if you're 
concerned about your financial situation or the the risk that you've taken is playing on your mind and you're finding it hard to motivate yourself, then maybe you can't benefit from that focus. So my advice for anyone who's taken taken that path and that option and they found themselves in that situation is is to throw yourself into it wholeheartedly. Try to put off the thoughts about, oh, you know, oh my God, this is not making me any money and how long, how much longer can I go on for? Try to focus for as much as possible. Maybe two months, maybe three months, six months if you can. And if you really find that you're in a situation where your finances are running out and you have to change, then you can the great thing is you can always do that. You're not you're not beholden to just following one option. You can always change, but if you're brave enough to do it, then give yourself a chance, you know, give yourself a proper chance, a good run at it and try to switch off those doubts in your mind so that you can benefit from that unlimited amount of time, which you can, you can throw into it while walking that path. The grinder's path is the one where you really, you know, you're kind of, you don't have that time. You don't have that freedom. You're basically Mm. like you've talked about, you you know, you've got to, you've got to kind of mitigate it with all those things. What's one of the strategies that you offer to the the person who's, Hey, I've got this other job. I want to pursue this passion that I've chosen, but I can't just, I don't have all the freedom and time and I don't have the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, pressed and I don't want to, I think one of the biggest problems people have is when they're pursuing their passion, if they feel like it's too truncated or too compressed, John Cleese talks about the idea of creative work. You need time and space, right? You can't have just one or the other. Mm. With the grinder, it seems like you're you're pressed. So, how what's some of the the pieces that you recommend that people can follow so that they don't see their passion kind of uh, fizzle, uh, which is interesting because I just mentioned Corbett and Corbett founded Fizzle, <laughs> fizzle in the bad way, not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do suggest the time schedule in the book, um, but even following that, I get what you're saying. You may reach that point where you are feeling quite burnt out. And the last when you want to be creative and, and, you know, come up with something great, then it's difficult to do that when you're feeling burnt out. So what I say in the book is probably only pursue this path for maybe 18 months. Look at it, view it it as um, you're doing this to try to save up money so that you can then switch over to the adventurer's path and give it a proper go. In terms of the time schedule I outline, I suggest an hour before work, so getting up early and working an hour before work, trying to find an hour during the day, whether that's at lunchtime or on a commute or after you get back. That gives you two hours every day. That gives you 10 hours Monday to Friday. And then I suggest putting in five hours each day on Saturday and Sunday. Now, interestingly enough, I also use an example of a man called Bo Carnes, who had an article on uh, Medium, which went, which was really well received. And now he was, he follows a pretty similar schedule. He did 20 hours a week while working as a teacher, uh, while raising a family as well. And I think he even found time to volunteer at his local church. So it is possible. But I make the point that the the point you make is very valid because you don't want to be burnt out. Mm-hmm. So I suggest maybe maybe only pursue this for a year. Or 18 months and try to save some money so that you can then switch over to either the strategist path or the adventurous path and have a bit more um, a bit a, a bit less stress a bit more freedom around the work that you're doing so you've gone down this path now and this is something I wish I had when I first left my job is I didn't um, I, I when I left Costco I made I was very clear about the path to leave Costco to go on to what I'm doing now um, 
when people feel that they're ready, so they want to take the leap, and you talk about this, um, how do you keep the fear? Because, I mean, there's always that, that, that fear of the known or the unknown versus the known. Like, you've got this job, uh, you know, you're, you, you've pursued this passion, and you've definitely established yourself, you talk about it, as an expert. We'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but what, what, f- what do you do in the face of fear when it comes to this? Because I think that, that is, it, is it the evidence that you've got? Is it the, like, where, where do you kind of, are, where do you feel that people can look at the, the, the fear that they're facing and go, okay, you know what? That's there. I'm still doing it anyway. I guess that's really why I came up with the three different parts, because if you're really feeling it so strongly that it's you're procrastinating and not finding it able to take the leap, then I recommend that you follow either the strategist path or the grinders path. I mean, if you follow the grinders path, you don't really have to deal with the fear because you're still working your job. You've still got your money coming in. You've got other problems to deal with, of course, but you don't you don't have to deal with the fear. The strategist path mitigates it somewhat because you should still set up a strategy whereby you are still getting some money and the book outlines a few options for doing that Um, it's only really if you take the adventurer's path that you have to deal with it head on and the way i present it the way i frame it is you know life's an adventure and yes you are going to feel afraid undoubtedly but try to think that you you can't live your life without you know some kind of adventure. Uh, would you want to reach the end of your life not having tested yourself at all whatsoever? You know, um, and I'm sure everybody would answer that no. I want to see what I'm. I want to see what I'm capable of. I want to see how I handle a pressure situation. And when you look at it that way and just tell yourself, look, this is an adventure could go right it could it could go wrong well even if it goes wrong i'm going to learn something from it and tackle it from that and look at it from that perspective rather than you know oh i know i've lost all this i'm potentially losing all this money i might fail what are people going to say if i fail don't look at it from that point of view look at it from the point of view that it's an adventure to be embraced Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, I'll get back to my conversation with Joe in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about this episode's sponsors. Okay, if you're listening to this podcast, then you really want to maximize the time that you have. And you don't want to waste it or squander it doing innocuous, mundane things like looking for your belongings, things that you lose, your phone, your wallet, your your iPad, whatever it is. Well, we all know someone, and maybe it's not you, that's constantly losing their stuff. And if it is you, well, you're not alone. 
See, the average person wastes 15 minutes a day trying to find their stuff. Well, over the course of a work week, that's over an hour. And if you start to break it down over the course of, a, of an entire week, you're close to two hours of wasted time trying to find your stuff. Well, that's all changed now thanks to this sponsor, Tile. And I've been following Tile for quite some time. So what I love about Tile is, first off, it's inobtrusive. It's it's a Bluetooth device that helps you keep track of your stuff, but it does it in a way that you, you don't really kind of feel that they're getting in the way. It, Tile comes in sleek and compact sizes. Uh, for example, I've got the Mate and Slim starter pack here. And they can attach to things like your keys or your wallet, uh, kind of like a credit card. And that's what the, the Slim looks like. And here's how it works. Okay, I want to kind of break this down for you. So you download the, the, the free Tile app. Okay, for you know your device to your phone, right? And then if you've misplaced or can't find anything, then you open up the app and you, 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 you tap on find. And when you do that, the tile device will ring and leads you right to your stuff. So this, this tile that I have here, which by the way, I have a limited edition one here. I'll talk about that in a second, but I'm not even using it for myself. I got it for my wife because uh, my wife is constantly looking for her phone. Yeah, she puts her phone down somewhere and she needs it because she doesn't just use it for for her uh, personal stuff, but she uses it for for work. It's kind of like her lifeline. So she needs to know where it is. And the other thing that she occasionally leaves in, in weird locations is her wallet. So this was perfect for her because it's the slim and the mate. It, it works great. Now, this is the interesting thing. She couldn't find her phone. Okay. So what she did was she tapped the tile device and it made the phone ring. So she could find out where the phone was. So it works both ways with the phone, which I think is fantastic. But what she was able to do is find the stuff that she needs to find. So if she was looking for her wallet, she left her wallet in the car the other day. She was able to open up the tile app, tap the word find, and boom, because she had the slim inside of her wallet, boom, she was able to find it. So here's the thing about the phone. Her phone was on silent. The kind of work she does, she can't have her phone ringing. Well, the tile, because she had it on her key ring, she was able to actually find it because it rings even when the phone is on silent. Now, Tile, I talked about the limited edition, right? So Tile comes in a bunch of limited edition prints and colors. I'll tell you the one I picked. I picked uh, I picked Summer Stripe because I don't want summer to end. <laughs> it's kind of rainy here now, uh, and it looks really, really nice. Plus, it kind of fits in with, with the, the fun kind of design stuff that my wife likes. But there's ones called Golden Hour. There's Superhero, which is another one that if I was going to use it, I probably would have picked the Superhero. But I knew my wife needed the tile, you know, more than I did. And it was a perfect, perfect opportunity for us to, to put it through the paces. I'm glad I did. So what I want you to do as a productivity podcast listener is take advantage of an offer that Tile is extending to you. You can get a limited edition Tile for yourself and everyone who's always losing their stuff. All you need to do is go to tile.com slash timecrafting to shop the limited edition collection right now. So just go to tile.com slash timecrafting. These, these real fun, like one-of-a-kind exclusive designs, they go really fast. I'm looking actually at the store right now, and there's some stuff that you just can't. There's a couple that you just can't even get in the pro pack or the starter pack. Like there's some that are already going, going, gone. So you want to jump on this opportunity right away. So again, get yours today. Get your limited edition tile at tile.com slash timecrafting. Do it now. And stop losing your stuff. Okay, I want to talk about the other sponsor for this episode, and that sponsor is Fundrise. Now, you've heard, I know I have, uh, that for years, uh, that it's really important to have a diversified portfolio. Even in times of uncertainty, these kind of things are really important to have. You know, the stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that sort of thing. 
But if you've ever really taken a look at a breakdown of a successful, a really successful portfolio, one of the, some of the most successful ones, you'll you'll see typically a diversified set of real estate. So here's a question. Why isn't it one of the first asset classes that you consider when you're looking to diversify? And really what it boils down to is it really hasn't been available to investors like you, like me, until now, and that's thanks to Fundrise. See, Fundrise makes it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, my friends at Fundrise have you covered, and here's how they do. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high-quality, high-potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. So whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. Now, to date, Fundrise manages more than, get this, $1 billion in assets for 130,000-plus investors and since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged 87 to 12.4% annual returns, and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. That's impressive. But what's also impressive is that Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vet and actively manage all of their real estate projects. So with their easy-to-use website, you, you yourself can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved and operated via asset updates. Now I want you to start building your better portfolio today. So here's what you got to do. Get started today at fundrise.com slash timecrafting. And when you do that, you'll get your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's fundrise, F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E.com slash timecrafting to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Done. So what are you waiting for? Build that better portfolio today. Go to fundrise.com slash timecrafting now. And now let's get back to my conversation with Joe Barnes here on the Productivityist podcast. What about age? Uh, I had uh, um, Rich Carlgaard on the show to talk about, you know, late bloomers and Carl Honoré has been on the show to talk about bolder, being older. When you get to a certain point, um, and I know you, you touch on this near, near the tail end of the book about the idea of that not the fear that you're too old, but the idea, well, you know, I've already been in this situation for a long time. So who am I to pursue a passion now? This is kind of like my life is kind of road at this point. So what what do you have to say to those people that are that are like, yeah, this this is this, you know, my passion is I'm past my prime when it comes to that. Yeah, I, I think it works in two ways. It almost adds a degree of urgency to it. You know, the older you get, the more urgent you feel that I've got to do something now. It's got to happen now. You know, I can't right. give it another 10 years. And it, in in a way, I actually think that's quite good. I'm actually not that I feel particularly old now, but the years are passing somewhat. And with the passing of each one of them, I tell myself, you know, no room for no room for mistakes. I've got to be on it 100 percent. I can't make any slip ups. And I quite I quite like that in a way because it, it creates a greater sense of urgency, which then makes me more productive. So I think that's a way of pursuing it. And what was the other? Sorry, what was the other part? Well, the, the question, idea Mike? of if they're if they're like they that passion is kind of like if they're older, there's this sense of they're already so entrenched in the system that escaping mm. it doesn't seem like it's much of a, a a way forward so how do you encourage people that okay you know 
yes, you're, you know, you're over 30 um, and you're, you're feeling like you're entrenched or you're over 40 or, you know, even pushing 50, um, there is a mm. way forward with your passion. Yeah, I would just say, well, how would another 30, 40 plus years of feeling frustrated be? Is how's that going to feel like? Because it's not going to go, you know, if you have something uh, inside of you, a calling telling you, you you want to do something or you just want to create a more enjoyable and interesting lifestyle or you want to make your, leave your mark on the world. It doesn't matter if you're 30, 40, 50, even 60. If you ignore that, you're still going to live with that feeling. And it, it, it won't, you know, it won't go away. It will still nag at you now and again. So I don't think that there's any time limit on following a, an interest or a passion. You just have to, um, you, you have to understand that the, there's something inside of you that needs expression. And I think I used the quote from um, Thoreau mm -hmm. that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. So until you go to the grave, you've still got a chance to get your song out of you. And um, I don't think age should deter anyone from doing that. I want to shift gears for a minute and talk about, you, you mentioned earlier that you were, you know, you, you, you worked in tennis. You were, you know, you were a tennis coach, but you obviously to coach, you had to play at some point in time. It's not just you were able to like, okay, here's how you do it. You've got a blog post, I'll link to it, um, about two ridiculous tennis matches and, and I want to, Oh yes. yeah. 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 <laughs> um, there's, there was, I remember, and I'm, I'm going to blank on this a little bit, but one of the best self-development uh, books that a lot of is that people read was written by a tennis coach. It was about, you know, like how to, um, and, and I'm going to blank on it, but when I think about it, I'll put in, a, in the, the inner game, in a game of tennis. That's it. Who Ten wrote that? Timothy again? Galway. There you go. Thank Timothy you. Timothy Galway. All right. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that, again, it transcends tennis, I think. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like mm. Bill Walsh's book, The Score Takes Care of Itself, which is from the famed American football coach, Bill Walsh. There's lessons beyond football that come from that book. So can you touch on some of the things that you learned, maybe from these, ten these two specific tennis matches, but, like, in that vein that you've been able to take and go, okay, you know what, I learned this through tennis, and I can apply this beyond that sport beyond that, that that passion that you had. Sure, sure. So I'll, I'll very briefly outline the two ridiculous matches I mentioned in the blog post. One was when I was a kid, teenager, and I won the first set six love, and I was five love up in the second set. And this was against my biggest rival, basically. And two points away from winning, and not only winning, completely thrashing him and humiliating him when I'd never beaten him before, and I ended up losing the match. So that was crazy. Anyone who knows tennis knows that that's virtually an Im impossible position to lose from, but I lost. Now, the, mess, the, the, the lesson from that is you should never play your opponent. You should never feel that um, you are trying to beat some individual or overcome an enemy in any way. That's, it's pointless. It always works against you. You've just got to, in a sense, play the, play the score. And you're playing yourself the whole time. You're not trying to beat other people, whether it's tennis or whether it's business competitors. It's it only harms you to think in that way, because then you're going to get emotional about it. And then you can't remain calm and do make whatever decisions you need to make. Um, the other one was a recent ish match, because now I'm in the 35 and over category and I play the ITF international 35 and over. But this wasn't this was just for my local county. 
quarterfinal match. And I kept, it was against the guy I should have beaten, but he kept getting ahead of me. And then I just somehow managed to come back. And my point I was making in the blog post was the first time how mentally weak I was and this time how mentally strong. I think I'd lost the first set. I was three love down in the second set and playing terribly. I somehow managed to get it back together, won the second set, won six games in a row, went down in the final set again, and then again won six games in a row. And I think the point I made in that one, it was how much how much different my focus was now, my ability to master my mind and not allow, you know, the fear. I was thinking, God, this is just, I'm going to have another bad defeat. This is so humiliating. Some of my students were watching as well. And they, at one point I said, no, I've got to stop doing this. I've got to focus on one thing, which was being more aggressive with my shots, trying to hit more, more winners and just block out every other thought and just focus on that. And by doing that, I managed to control my emotions and then play play a lot better. So I think the take-home message from that match was about um, just controlling your, controlling your thoughts and having a focus on one thing, one positive thing. And if you can do that, this could be applied to business. You know, you, there might be one thing in your business that you need to focus on to see progress and sales. And you don't, you've got to block out entirely worrying about, you know, 101 different scenarios of what might go wrong. Just focus on the one thing you need to do. And it's amazing how often that can steady you emotionally. And then you can come up with some good ideas or make good decisions that, that are going to help you succeed. I want to uh, finish up by talking a little bit about time. And in the book, you talk about like we have more time than we think. And I think there's a bias that shows up where a lot of people say, hey, you know what? I just don't have time for that. And you even allude to that in your blog about the idea of the three things you must do with your time on earth. So mm. can you talk a little bit about your relationship with time and how it applies to the things you're doing now, like following your passion, you're, you know, you, you're, you're pursuing your passion of becoming a, a, an author, a best-selling author. What is your relationship with time like, and what are some of the lessons that you want to impart to people about how they can Im either improve or, or strengthen their relationship with time? Mm, okay. Just so first I'll answer the second question first because sure. something sprang to mind immediately, especially for your younger listeners, anyone in their twenties or early twenties, maybe even late teenage years. I remember back then I had this crazy concept that I didn't have a lot of time at my disposal and I had to be, you know, I had to get my degree. I then had to get a job. I then had to get married and I had to have, get kid, have to have kids. And I think what I didn't appreciate now and whatever I and what I always tell people at that age, you know, if I'm either coaching them or just chatting to them or they've messaged me about my book is you have so much time and it really doesn't matter if you start your degree a bit later and you have a couple of years, maybe experimenting with a new business or, for example, let's say I remember speaking to a a former student of mine who was wondering whether he should try and go pro and um, play on the um, future circuit and try and make a go of it. And I was saying to him, absolutely. You know, you don't realize at 19 or 20 how much time you've got. You could easily just go back to uni, uni at 25. You should at least give your passions a chance. Um, so don't feel if you're a younger listener that you have to conform to some kind of, of having completed certain life goals by certain ages. I think that's a great way to, if you do that, it's a great way to live a really, you know, end up living a trapped life and you shouldn't be trapped by that conditioning. Um, my 
relationship to time now as somebody who is were you know past his 20s is that you know, it's incredibly precious i don't want to waste any of it at all you know i schedule my days i i can't you know i limit the i even have a i have a i set a time limit on the amount of tv or netflix or cinema viewing i can watch you know i i record everything pretty much of what i'm doing so that i know that I have a certain amount of time for the projects that are important important to me. So the older I get, the more precious time becomes. And I still feel I, I'd never want to slip into this mindset of thinking that it's running out or that it's that I'm going to panic in any way. But again, as I mentioned a bit earlier in our conversation, I actually feel it's good that I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I only have a limited amount of time because that means I've got to get the best out of myself right now. Joe, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me today. And uh, you can pick up the book, Do the Work You Love, How to Create an Income Without Working a Boring Job. Where can people pick that up and where can people learn more about you and your work? Well, it's obviously on Amazon. You can go to Amazon. You will be able to get the book there. It is in bookstores as well. Now, you guys are obviously in Canada, mm -hmm. and I'm guessing many of your listeners, Canada and America. So I don't know the in exact bookstores. Maybe it's Barnes and Noble. I don't know what and, your and stores in, are. We have in Indigo in Canada. You guys have Waterstones over there, right? I believe Waterstones in the yeah. UK. So it is in bookstores as well, but obviously look online on Amazon. Uh, if you want to find out more about me, then check out my website, which is escapethesystemnow.com. There you will get the blog posts that Mike was just uh, talking about. Also, if you wanted to go to my YouTube channel, it's actually called Screw the System. You'll see some of my videos there. Um, Instagram, Escape the System 19, I believe is my handle. So you can find out about more about my work on, on any of those. Joe, thanks again for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. Really enjoyed it.